Take a left here, not at this alley at the street. Then you make the first right. It comes up quick. Dylan Griebel was giving directions to Amy Jo True as she drove them through the city. She wasn't crazy about him giving her orders, but locating the senator would be the largest story her newspaper had ever had, and Dylan was the best private investigator she knew. So this was the best chance she had at getting to the bottom of what was happening. As she drove, they discussed their next move. We need to think of who benefits from the senator's disappearance. A.J. said. Republicans? Dylan answered. This smells of something less directly political. Nonpartisan Republicans. Actually, Mayor Big Bill Johnson is in the pocket of Stephen Lucinetti. Even if he's not directly responsible for any of this, his reaction will explain some things. That sounds like something worth checking out. Turn right here. Plus, my paper will want a quote from him. Pull up along the curb here. I'm going to check out some of the lower ranks of the Lucianetti gang. I can't help notice we're stopping in front of Little Augie's. A speakeasy owned by Lucianetti. So you're going to get drunk? Research, Miss True. Members of the syndicate pass through here all the time, and my ears are well-tuned. Plus, I could use a drink or two. Before AJ can protest, Dylan is out of the car, talking to her through the window. I'll call you at your office to check in. Leave any messages for me there, too. AJ was about to ask him why she shouldn't just call his office, but then she held her tongue. Dylan had no front desk, not even a secretary. Who would work for him? Welcome to RPG Storytime, the channel where we take stories generated out of role-playing games and narrate them in short, digestible segments. Today, we continue our gangbusters adventure of The Vanishing Investigator. The module is by Mark Akers, and the story is game-mastered and written by Jeff MacArthur. AJ was still grumbling to herself as she arrived at the mayor's office. She had expected to possibly see a few reporters that had beaten her there, but when she entered the lobby, she saw a small crowd of law enforcement officers of various branches. There were cops, prohibition officers, and Bureau of Investigation agents. All had been summoned and were waiting to speak with the mayor. A.J. recognized one of the men, the BOI officer she had spoken to at the window of the courthouse. He didn't even notice her until she was at his side. So what's going on? She asked. The man revealed no indication as to whether he was happy or sad to see her. His face resembled a stone wall of emotion. Your mayor asked our office to spare five agents, he said. Looks like he didn't ask for the same from several other branches of law enforcement. Didn't invite the press, she observed. He probably wants this resolved before you all go to print. The people voted Barrington in. Don't they have a right to know? The man didn't respond. He was quiet for a moment. During his repose, the mayor's assistant emerged from another room and invited everyone inside. The BOI agent turned to AJ and said, Come inside with us. I wasn't invited. She said. I doubt they'll have a specific count, he said. Plus, this way I can keep an eye on you. AJ smiled dubiously and stayed close to the man as she sneaked in with him. Despite being the only woman, no one seemed to care or notice. She was, in fact, short enough that she was easy to overlook, and her hair was cut close enough that few looked closely at her gender. More importantly, they were focused on Big Bill Johnson, whose presence took up most of the room. 
He looked angry. His face was red and he paced incessantly. Gentlemen, he began, I'm sure all of you know by now that Senator Barrington has been kidnapped, or at least he's missing. I don't care which it is, I want him found. Now. I don't care what methods you use, you just get him. Each branch of law enforcement has different rights and responsibilities. I want you all pooling those resources to locate him and his family, which seems to also be missing. I want Barrington found, gentlemen. I want him found now. I want him found before newspapers make me, my administration, my police, and our fair city look like the crime capital of the world. AJ shrank slightly. Her BOI friend stared sheepishly at her as if wondering if he made a mistake. It was too late in any case. The mayor continued, I don't care how you do it, just do it. I don't care if you beat up and close down every two-bit hoodlum in the city. Nobody, nobody kidnaps the family of a United States senator in my town. Nobody. You guys find Barrington, you find him fast, and you find him quiet. And you'll all be well taken care of, I assure you. A.J. was looking around the room as Big Bill spoke. She was surprised to notice that both the Commissioner of Prohibition and the B.O.I. Special Agent in charge were at the meeting. Their nods belied their consent. Everything Mayor Johnson was saying met with their approval. The mayor went on to say that he wanted them to break up into task forces, all coordinating with their branches of law enforcement to locate and retrieve Senator Barrington and, if possible, his family. A.J. found herself tilting her head, much like Dylan Griebel did. She was considering what the mayor was saying, trying to make sense of it all. So he's not coordinating with Lucinetti, she mumbled. Or he is, and Lucinetti's not behind this. What are you talking to yourself about? the BOI agent asked her. A.J. took another moment to think about it, then turned to the agent. You have the authority to check bank accounts, don't you? To a certain degree, yes he said. A.J. thought a moment more about it. Other officers were teaming up and her own agent was looking around, determining who he would join. A.J. said, You want to get ahead of the others? Well, he started. Barrington wasn't kidnapped. His family was. That note he was given was the ransom note. He went out to find them himself. He might have withdrawn money either for the ransom or bribes. But I'll bet you his account will tell us what he's doing. The agent's face looked like it would turn into a statue, but somewhere behind his eyes, A.J. could tell he saw the logic in her words. So she said, Come on, we'll take my car. Dylan was on his third drink, and he'd been milking them. Trying to fit in while he sat at the far end of the bar, sneaking a peek at anyone and everyone he could. He tried to listen in on the conversations, but there were too many muddled together. There wasn't anyone of note in any case. He had a way of getting to know who everyone was while no one got to know who he was, the benefit of being unremarkable. After nearly an hour, Dylan was thrilled just to see a handful of goons from Lucanetti's outfit sitting at a table. Unfortunately, his happiness to have someone to eavesdrop on was too well projected and the small group moved away. 
After they did, Dylan did a double take. Sitting alone at the booth beyond the table was a man with a camel jacket, matching scarf, and a hat pulled over his eyes with a large fancy feather peeking out the top. It was as AJ had described to him. But he couldn't see the man's face, so Dylan switched positions and sat down at a table where he'd be looking out toward the man's face. Still, he couldn't see much since he was looking either toward the wall or toward the table. When at last the man looked over toward the door, as if anticipating someone's arrival, Dylan got a clear view. It was Senator Barrington! Dylan's jaw dropped. He couldn't believe his luck. But why he was in such a public place, in a speakeasy owned by the people who likely kidnapped his family, was beyond him. Dylan unconsciously ordered a couple more drinks for himself. By the look on Barrington's determined face, they would be there a while. As the BOI agent held the door open for AJ into the bank, AJ suddenly realized she had never gotten his name. So she asked him. Frank Hickman, he said. AJ looked a bit confused by it, so he asked her why. I expected Franklin, or some sort of other formal name. You think I'm formal? Eh. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. I'm used to different. I find that different doesn't open many doors. Formal is safer. Can't argue with results, so... AJ was about to tell Hickman where to speak with the management, but he seemed to already have a sense of where to go. He had done this sort of work in enough banks to know his way around, regardless of the local floor plan. He spoke politely with a receptionist at the offices, and she was happy to set up a meeting with one of the managers right away, seemingly cutting in front of another customer who was less pleased about it. Hickman explained the situation and that they needed to see if there had been any activity on Barrington's account. The manager, of course, needed to see his credentials, which Hickman provided. I, of course, cannot show you anything regarding his account, the manager said, just whether there's been activity. I understand, Hickman said, and the manager left to take a look. Alone for a couple minutes, A.J. tried to think of something to ask the man that would not elicit a predictable response. He beat her to the punch by asking, Why were you at the mayor's office? Senator's missing. A.J. responded, Yes, but why the mayor? Why not check out the chief of police or call for comments from other senators? A.J. wasn't sure she was ready to reveal the dark politics of Lakefront to him, the fact that the mayor was a puppet to Lucanetti. She didn't know what Frank would do with that information, how dangerous it could be for himself and anyone around him. So she held on to that for the time being. The manager returned quite quickly. He revealed that a check paid out and signed by Mr. Barrington had just been cashed mere minutes ago. He could introduce them to the cashiers who took the check if they would like. Hickman was out of his seat and heading out of the office before the manager was done with his sentence. A few seconds later, they were speaking with the cashier. She described the man who had cashed the check. He had a thin mustache, like a straight line that went across his lip. He was a bit twitchy, nervous-like. What was he wearing? Hickman asked. Brown suit, brown tie, brown hat, brown leather shoes. I'm catching a theme here, A.J. interjected. 
Oh, and a large diamond ring, the teller ended. Hickman thanked her, and they left. Dylan was now on his eighth drink, and the room was beginning to swim. It would have been swimming earlier, but being seated was keeping him from noticing. Dylan still managed to avoid catching Barrington's attention, a task made easier by the fact that the senator was so focused on the doorway. A look of relieved recognition relaxed across his face as a thin man in all brown walked in. A thin mustache ran across his face like a straight line. Dylan was fascinated by how perfectly horizontal it was, like it was a dash that was merely balancing there. He wanted to stare, but that would ruin everything, so Dylan pulled his eyes away, keeping Barrington's booth within his peripheral vision. The man in brown slid into the booth and spoke quietly with Barrington. They knew what they were doing, and their voices never rose above the rumble of the crowd. Dylan wasn't able to catch anything that was said, but he noticed cash and a revolver that the man in brown discreetly slid across to Barrington, who yanked it under the table. They spoke a little longer, long enough that Dylan had to order one more drink to keep up appearances, and finally Barrington got up and left. Dylan cursed under his breath. He had hoped they'd leave together. Now he had to choose between the two. The right decision seemed pretty obvious, but Dylan did not want to have to get up in his current condition. The job of tailing the senator was made all the easier by the fact that Barrington was not used to watching for people tailing him, so Dylan did not have to try so hard. He did, however, have to keep his mark in sight, a task made more difficult in his inebriated state. He lost him at one point when he stumbled into an alcove, but he found him again when the senator crossed the street and narrowly avoided being hit by a car he hadn't seen. They at last arrived at Barrington's apparent hideout at the Booth Building Apartments. A.J. was driving back to the Lexington Hotel. Agent Hickman had checked in with his superiors by phone and learned that they had moved Zabata to one of the rooms there. He thought the best course of action would be to drop by the hotel and tell them what he knew and receive further orders. A.J. had checked in with her office and hadn't gotten any messages from Griebel, so he was likely still watching for leads. There had been a ransom demand sent to the paper by the kidnappers. They were claiming to have the whole family, including the senator, but A.J. didn't believe that was correct. Unless he turned himself into the kidnappers, Agent Hickman suggested. Why would he do that? A.J. asked. Trade for his family? A.J. considered, but it just didn't feel right. Why would he take someone else's coat if he was going to do that? This just didn't add up. She wanted to learn what Dylan knew, but she didn't think that he and Hickman would exactly hit it off, so she hoped to see them both separately. The two of them entered the lobby, and Hickman said he'd come back in a little while. The room was 414 in case she needed to call up for some reason. A.J. waited and considered her next move. She'd call the speakeasy and check on Griebel, but that would blow his cover. But as far as other leads, she couldn't think of any. All she had were the descriptions of two characters in this whole drama, but where would she find them? Certainly not sitting around in the lobby of a hotel. She was pacing around and found herself near the front desk when she heard a young woman say something familiar. Please take this note to room 414. 
AJ took immediate interest but kept calm, didn't look over, and listened in. Um, no one is being allowed to visit that room, ma'am, the clerk said. I know. That's why I'm leaving a note. It's for one of the agents of the BOI to take to Mr. Zabata. Um, do you wish to wait and speak with one of them? No, thanks. I won't be staying. Just let them know this note is here, and it's urgent. Thank you. A.J. glanced over as if looking at the room beyond the front desk so she could see the young woman leaving the note before she left. She just caught her as she turned away. She had dark hair and curls, cute with fiery red lipstick. Her eyes passed by A.J. but didn't stop, so she didn't seem to notice her. The desk clerk tried to get the woman to return to no avail. A.J. grabbed a piece of paper and a pen that was supposed to be for staff use only, and she scribbled a few words. Hickman, got lead, tailing. She left the note close enough to the clerk so whomever came for the other note would find hers. Then she followed the dark-haired woman out the front. She spotted the car she got into and A.J. dashed to her own. She jumped in just in time. The woman was passing her. It was the second time the woman might have seen her, but A.J. was betting on her not paying attention to a dumpy, short woman in drab clothes and big round glasses. She pulled out, cringing as her tires made a loud noise skidding on the cement, but she conformed to the speed of traffic and steadied herself out. A.J. had to straighten her spine as high as it could go to look around. Cars weren't designed for someone of her height. Her legs had to stretch their full length, and if she wanted to go fast, she would have to press forward her tiptoes. Right now, she needed a clear vision over the steering wheel and out every window. The vehicle her mark was in was a green roadster. It stood out, so when it peeked between a couple vehicles, it was easy to spot. The problem was that it was past other vehicles that were too close together to squeeze through. This made it harder for AJ to be spotted, but her fingers squeezed the wheel as she prayed the woman didn't turn. Her prayers were not answered, and the woman turned left. AJ waited to pass the intersection, then slammed on the brakes. Falling behind the other cars, she made a two-lane U-turn and doubled back, turning where her target had turned. She quickly found the green roadster up ahead. Best of all, it had not sped up, nor seemed to be weaving through traffic. She hadn't been spotted. AJ got behind the car behind the roadster and watched through its windows. They went on for several blocks, then reached a traffic light. It turned yellow just as the roadster crossed through. The car ahead of AJ was going through, and AJ sped up on its tail, almost riding its bumper. But she got through in time. She kept thinking what she would tell a cop if she was pulled over for that. Sorry, officer, I was stalking someone. Soon after, the woman made a left. AJ took her time making the same left and followed at a distance. There was no traffic now, and it was easy to follow from a distance. At last, she arrived at an apartment building where she parked along the curb. AJ parked along the same curb far enough away not to be conspicuous. As she watched the woman get out and head to the nearest building, AJ wished she had Griebel's opera glasses. The woman approached an apartment on the ground floor, and she knocked on the door. Silence. No answer. She knocked again. 
She seemed confused. After a third time, she turned toward the car but stopped, remembering something. She reached into her purse and pulled out a key. The woman turned back toward the door and put the key into the handle. After turning it, she stopped. Something distracted her. Reaching into her purse, she pulled out a hand mirror. Perhaps freshing up before going in to see someone? She held the mirror in front of her and moved it across her face a couple times. Then, A.J. thought, who would she be making herself up for? No one answered the door. The mirror stopped. It was facing directly at her. The woman slapped the mirror shut and quickly put it away. A.J. needed to talk to the woman, so she got out and started toward the woman's car, hoping to intercept her there. Seeing this, the woman hurried in the opposite direction. A.J. took chase. They clattered down the sidewalk. A.J. realized the absurdity of it as they were both in high heels. At least they were evenly handicapped. They just had to remain agile enough to not fall over. A.J. was failing and began to fall over, so she stopped and yanked one off. She was in the process of taking the other off when a shoe bounced across the sidewalk near her. Looking up, she saw it was one of the woman's high heels. She was throwing them at her. The other one flew at her and A.J. dodged out of the way. The woman turned and ran. A.J.'s second shoe still wasn't completely off. Chasing after her would be futile at this point. Even if she caught her, what was she going to do? So she put the shoe back on and put the other on as well. Checking out the ones that had been thrown at her, she wondered what size they were. They were nice. Dylan Griebel was still watching the building Barrington had entered. He guessed that his room was on the second floor as a light had gone on in the perfect amount of time after he had entered, so he kept his eyes on that window and the front entrance. He had found a perfect place to wait. A five-foot-tall island where all the mailboxes were stored sat near the parking lot. He could lean against the wall and have only his eyes peering over the top while shaded by his hat. The shape of a man with Barrington's build walked across the window a couple times, so Dylan felt good about his chances. However, if the sun set, he would probably have to go in for answers. He couldn't wait out in this cold. Or should he go tell others, like the police or AJ? He weighed his options. His thoughts were interrupted by the end of a pistol pressing against his back. Dylan instinctively looked and the man did not protest. He was fine with Dylan knowing who he was. It was the man who had met Barrington at the bar, his perfectly trimmed mustache rising at the ends along his smiling lips. This has been a presentation of RPG Storytime, Gangbusters, a playthrough of The Vanishing Investigator by Mark Akers. Tune in next time to hear the conclusion of the story. Subscribe to the channel to hear more tales of RPG games or check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. You can also read books by the writer and game master of these stories by going to bandwagononline.com. We hope you enjoyed it, and happy gaming, everybody!